If there's ever a time that this song could become more relevant, Austin, I think it's right now. The song fires me up. It, it's like, oh my god, I just kicked the desk. Oh, um, way to go, Dave. <laughs> anytime, like I, I, you hear the song at a Leafs game, you just want to dance. I don't. It's you, a happy song. I, I mean, was gonna say, where you you went to a preseason game? Did the Leafs actually score? They did <laughs> actually. So you I don't remember song. if it was Hall and Oates. I don't know if they <laughs> it were. Should have been. You would think. Captain scored the only goal the Leafs had. Yeah, and the, um, and the AHL Leafs versus the uh, full Montreal Canadiens. Not a good goal either. Just no. awful. Um, uh, you take them, you get them, though. I know. I think I told you I went to the one against Detroit where they yes. like, score like five goals. Wow. Um, Living the so, dream, aren't so you? We, we love, we love, I love the song. I've always loved it before, uh, even before it became the Leafs' goal song. So, But the Leafs made a good choice. Kyle Dubas, though. Also making, made a good choice. Making Leafs fans' dreams come true. They wanted a defenseman. Oh, look at you. Not only, oh, look at me with that segue. Not only did they want... I'm, you can tell how fired up I am about this podcast. I'm going to tell you why I'm fired we up. We got Hall and Oates. So. I mean, we got moves. We, we got, got a lot of stuff to talk we about. We got a, the Leafs getting a top four defenseman without even trading a roster player. Remember, remember and look, in fairness to the insiders, like... They weren't talking about a Jake Muzzin trade. They were talking about see the last podcast we did. I brought up Jake Muzzin, but it was not me coming up with it on my own. So I'm not taking credit for it. It yeah. was, I believe, Elliot Friedman. Friedman. I know Darren Drager's talking. Darren about Drager it. definitely. Jake and and even LeBron. Kinda. Yep. LeBron, I think they, is more. They brought about, it up, and I ran with it. So good. To, good for them. Um, well, luckily, luckily we have we have a friend. We have a very good friend. I like to call him a good friend. Uh, friend of the show, even? Friend of the show, even. Uh, it, God, I love using that term. I love it, too. It's not we, every day. We feel so big time. I know. But you know what? It's it's humbling when you have a friend like Chris Johnson that you can literally call up and, uh, like a day or day or two before and just be like, hey, do you have time to come on our podcast? And he's like, yeah, of course. Yeah. So that's our gift to you today. Um, if you're tired of hearing from us, We've got which you already are probably are at this point. <laughs> uh, we've got Chris Johnson from Sportsnet. I it, it, I don't laugh because it's I, I'm sometimes you know when you get a guy like that who's on Hockey Night in Canada, probably one of the top. He's kind leaves, of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. People know him. People people should know him. If you don't know him, especially if you're a Leafs fan, shame on you. Yikes. Um, I, I loved it. I'll just before we uh, get into uh, what we're gonna talk about with CJ. I loved it when there was a Canucks fan during uh, – this was during, I think, training camp. So CJ is with the team. I don't know if they're in Niagara Falls or if they're back here. And he's tweeting all this Leaf stuff. And this Canucks fan is just like, how come you don't tweet more about the Canucks? You're and a, and we were just, and I'm just like, um, because he's in Toronto. <laughs> People forget that the Canucks have a beat reporter. His name is Ian McIntyre, who's – a very good reporter. I you know I have to edit his stuff over at Sportsnet, so I do, I do know that I'm Mac. That's what we uh, we know him as. Ooh. I know him as. Sorry, you're on um, a nickname basis. Nickname basis as well, Ooh. and P, that's just what people refer to him as. So that was fun. Um, before we get CJ on, we are going to talk about the uh, the Leafs trading for Jake Muzzin. Um, it was a surprising deal. I'm 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 not going to scoot around. I did not expect that coming. Which has become the, yeah. the the flavor of the Leafs lately. 
You know, it, it's just how the Leafs have been. I mean, we shouldn't really be surprised by it anymore. Um, CJ was surprised by it. Well, we'll we get... Yeah, we'll touch on it, obviously. But, um, I mean, in the sense that it's Kyle Dubas has taken up Lou Lamorello's tutelage in the fact that he doesn't let anything leak. No. You don't know that the Leafs are making this move till the deal's announced by the team. And I appreciate that about him, is that he's gone with that. Any any time the Leafs were ever re- report or rumored to be in on a guy, it was probably based more on the hunch and instinct and what was more of a prediction and a you know a guess not a guess but like a like what they think like insiders thought they were going to do not based on yeah we've heard they've been talking to this team about this guy I know that afterwards um, you know the insiders were saying that the Leafs had been talking about Muzzin for about a month. A month and nothing leaked. Yep. Um, and the, the insiders didn't say, "Hey, the Leafs and Kings are talking." Yeah, they just said, "Hey, this would be a guy that would be cool to go after if you're the Leafs." There exactly. wasn't any inside track. So the only way that we may have been possible is they knew, they heard about something, but they weren't confident enough to actually report yeah. it. So they throw that. That's another thing I think insiders do is they kind of throw that out there, like the headline saying in Hockey Night in Canada. Like people think that they're just throwing out stuff like on headlines, yeah, on headlines. But no, this is stuff they've heard, and they're reporting it. But they're not like it's not like you hear from one source. But usually these guys want to hear from more than one person. Like if you hear sources tell, then that you know they're confident reporting because they've heard from more than one source. One source, yeah. that's where you're you're getting a little dicey with your information because. It's based off of one person. Sources get... sounds a lot better than source. Yeah, exactly. I will say that from somebody who edits an aggregate site yeah. in the score. It is better when we see sources told rather than a source Well, told. anytime with Sportsnet, we write an article about a report about somebody being available or teams want, wanting someone. Yeah. It's based off of multiple sources. So yeah. It's good uh, to have multiple sources. I'm not saying having one source is a bad thing because no. if that one source is right, If that one source matter. is very credible... In, it doesn't matter it doesn't how many matter. sources you have. Exactly. Um, back to Muzzin. Um, I, I, the one thing that surprised me the most, the, the first thing when that trade, I mean, it was our good friend Chris that in our group chat that pointed us to the tweet. And I, uh, I've made a habit now of having Leaf PR um, I don't know notified why. on my phone. I don't know why I don't. That's I a, haven't turned it off since the Nylander thing, which is probably a bad idea because I got I get every Cascasuo and Trevor Moore's call up and send down. Which I mean, you know what? I can it, I can live with that because I have the Argos. I mean, it's funny. I have the Argos media relations yes. favorite on my phone because I cover the team. Yeah. I, I've been kind of. I have the Rock because I covered the team. So <laughs> and I haven't had the Leafs PR one, which is probably the. The the thing about that is I didn't know about it because the Leafs main account tweeted it out. It wasn't from the PR. Oh, that's right. Because it was so one of those forecheck movements. Yeah. So sometimes when it's player moves, the Leafs themselves will tweet it out and then the PR will just retweet it. They won't send out their own tweet. So I actually didn't know it was happening. I was at work and I heard people on the other side of the newsroom like, oh my God, oh my God, the Leafs. And I was like, Petrangelo? Oh, yeah. Pareko? Like, what is going on that people are freaking so, out about? And it's like, oh, Muzzin. This is fantastic. So this is this is the thought I had. Okay, so first off, another thing about the no, Leafs tweet. Nobody's freaking out about that, yeah. like Radko Gudis. Let me no. just say this. Well, I like, mean. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, exactly. Any, anyway, go on. But um, the thing about, and I just realized, so the reason why the PR account didn't get either, 
you saw that it was a sponsored tweet too, because Sport Check player, I think it's like a Sport Check player, player alert. Player alert. Yeah. So that's a sponsored thing. So it's going to come from the main account. There's mm-hmm. some money involved with that too. Oh, yeah. Just to remind people. But when I the first thing I did, I didn't look at the name of the Leafs. I saw Jake Muzzin, but I immediately went to what did they give up? Yeah. That was the first thing. Like it was like, yeah. oh, the like, Jake Muzzin. Wow, what the heck did they give up to get it? Yeah, well, because when we were talking last time, it was, hey, are they going to give up the first? Are they going to have to give up Kapanen or Janssen, Liljegren, Sandine? Well, what it are was, they going to have to I give saw, up to get it's like I saw Carl Grunsham's name, and I'm, then I saw more, and I'm like, Carl Grunsham, Sean Dersey, first-round pick, and you're just like, it's not an insignificant it's not, amount going the other way. I wrote a thing the, uh, yesterday, and I will give a shout-out to John Mattis, who we sort of had similar ideas on how to do this. Uh, he did, for the score, he did uh, takeaways for each team. Um, and he was he, he said to me, like, if you have anything that's sort of a conflicting point or you don't agree with, let me know and we'll talk it out. I agreed with everything he said. I think it's a hockey trade. Yeah, in that well, definitely a hockey trade. It's not... It's so easy nowadays, with just, and rightfully so, with teams and fans of those teams to just break down who got fleeced? Who won the deal? I don't see either team losing the deal. I see both teams getting proper pieces that they need for their respective situations. This is for the for LA. What you lose in the trade is a capable top four defenseman. So if the LA wants to make a push next season yeah. to get back into the playoffs because they don't want to have a drawn out rebuild, yeah. considering that what they have, they lost a significant piece to do that, and they could lose more. So, but on on the flip side, they're lacking of young talent. And they got some back. They got a capable, I say, look, Grunstrom, I've I've watched him in the HL. I've watched him with the Marlies. He's probably one of my, he was a guy that I was looking forward to seeing, but then I look at the Leafs. He's he's a guy that was, I don't, I wouldn't say earmarked for a spot. And the team next year, but he was certainly going to get an extended look. He was going to eventually... You, you could see that at some point he's a guy that was going to be on the radar. The only reason he wasn't in the NHL this year, I think, is because he had never played a full season in North America. Yeah, he he played – he's had – like, look, he played in Sweden. Then he, he put, came to North America. He played in see, two full seasons in Sweden before he came to the Marlies. Yeah, and that was more because of the SHL transfer agreement than yep. it did with – With second-round picks. Yeah, like – So he had to go back. He had to go back. So it wasn't – like, the Leafs would have had him here – at some point, maybe they probably would have really. done the same thing they did with Nylander to him is make him play half a season in Sweden. But, I mean, he played that first season after he was drafted in Sweden. He won the Champions Hockey League with Forlunda. Well, not only that, he was one of their top scorers in the last season before he left. Like, yep, it beats he, on the, his age group. I was just, I got to research him a little bit more last night in his background with Forlunda, which was nice. He had 13 goals and 20 assists in 16-17. That was the most goals and the most points by a junior in the SHL that year. Last season, he had, I believe it was a lower body injury, ankle, I believe, or knee. I'm for, I'm drawing a blank right now. Uh, yeah, he did have an injury. I remember that. Uh, so he missed a good chunk. Still finished with 17 goals. Yeah. Like he lit it up last year. Like, LA, if there's any Kings fans listening to this podcast, and God bless you if you are, um, but Leafs fans, like, the, the L.A. is getting a good piece in Grunstrom. He's a guy that can fit into the top nine at some point. He might be a candidate to get called up next season or at the end of the season if L.A. wants to give young guys a chance. 
Um, but you look at the Leaf Steph chart. I mean, uh, you have technically on the left side, it's Hyman, Marlowe, and I'm not saying this in particular order. I'm just throwing it out. Hyman, Marlowe, uh, Janssen, Trevor Moore, Tyler Ennis, Parlin. All the right now. Yeah, these Parlin has been very good. I like him a lot. He's you can tell that he's become a lot more comfortable in you know going with the more fancy stuff. I think he's realized he needs to be that guy with Ennis out and Gauthier as that line is he, Lindholm, Gauthier, and Moore and Moore when okay. he's in the lineup. When Ennis Moore's when in the Ennis, he's healthy. Yeah, um, yeah. So like you know Grundstrom. Did I? He was only an option if the Leafs had to trade someone, like a Marlowe, like a like a Janssen. I honestly thought he could have been. Well, when he was first drafted, we thought he'd be an initial replacement for Leo Komarov. <laughs> I remember that because he plays the similar style to Leo Komarov, he's where he's up in your in face. Ass. He's a pain in the ass, but he also can fill the net and put up points better than Komarov. Oh, way better. Um, but he was that because Komarov wasn't exact. Komarov was an, an like an older player when he came to the yep. Leafs because he played in the KHL. His style then translated to a slower grind down style, not yep. a high up pace tempo. That was the difference. It's and now Carl Grundstrom recently. I mean, was Zach Hyman having his contract where it is and where the Leafs are in the cap situation? It wasn't out of the question that if they needed to trade. Hyman that he could have stepped in and replaced him as that grinding puck retrieving guy who can also excuse me score in his own right like 17 goals in the SHL on bigger ice that's no joke no and it's, pot talks. and coming back to, I don't know what his stats were like with the Marlies this season I know he, he has was, 29 points in 42 games which is not bad for your first season at full season in the AHL. He has 22 primary points on the year. Uh, he's averaging half a primary point a game. Not bad. Very good pace. Um, but as we know, Trevor Moore has jumped a lot of players on that team based on <laughs> yeah. what he's done. And I, I he's find a there's a bit, the roster next year. Like Trevor Moore had, in my opinion, an underwhelming training camp, but has really turned it around. Like getting back with the Mar- I think. You know, training camp was so long ago. Like, it was, and it was just, it was just an SDA fest. Like everyone just wanted to see Semyon. SDA people were wanting to see that's, Tavares. That's all I remember is Tavares and SDA. The, the power, the power play was a big thing too. So, and that loss that I had to endure at Scotiabank Arena. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, but but that was a thing. Like you know, Trevor Moore has has pushed himself over the edge um, in terms of like he's probably the top left wing prospect. And then it was Janssen. Sorry, not Janssen. Because Janssen's not a prospect to me anymore. He's an NHLer now. So you'd have more. Grunstrom was probably second on that list. And then it goes down from there. Um, but also, Jeremy Bracco is another guy I think that factored into this. Because he's a guy who plays on the right side, who's a right winger. And you wonder, is he a guy that could flip to that other side? Potentially, or... Is he a guy that will replace somebody else down the road that you need to move to make salary work? Um, like, I think that like having Bracco be the top, he's the Marley's top forward. In this. Other than Moore, yeah. And and we've heard Sheldon Keith say like this is your like he's he's like that's that was his guy. that was a big thing after the Calder Cup that was sort of swept under the rug a little bit of Sheldon mm-hmm. Keith going to Bracco and saying this is your team now, and that's a yeah. big thing to say to a guy that. 
I mean, he played he was a, a good sec- chunk. He was what a second round pick, third round. Second pick? round pick, sixty first overall. He was part 20. of that. He was part of that Leafs trading down and getting trading down a couple times. He and Dermott were the two pieces yeah. the Leafs got for trading down twice. I thought it was him and Grunstrom. No, Grunstrom was twenty sixteen. Uh, Grunstrom and Korshkov got picked in twenty sixteen. That's right. Okay, and that's another thing is Grunstrom goes out. Yegor Korshkov hasn't even come into the lineup yet, and he was supposed there's to. Like, there's a bunch of guys out in Russia. And in the there's a lot of them. Uh, Emilie Razanin is another one who had a lot of praise, but he hasn't played a lot this season. Um, yeah, he's he's kind of I don't know his game is kind of dip, his tra- has been trending down since he also he just hasn't played Kingston. a lot with. Uh, he went out to play for Jokerit, and they haven't used him a whole ton. He's been injured Which up until probably a couple weeks ago, if that. He's been injured for almost the entire season, so it's whatever. Well, and that's why um, probably Sean Jersey was moved is because the Leafs loaded up on defensemen in this draft. This is last draft. this is the point that's great about this is Sean Jersey is a great defenseman in his own. He's right. an a great offensive defenseman too, and is de- he's not bad defensively. No, um, and he's starting to fill out a little bit. I think he's six foot one ninety six, which is very good for a defenseman nowadays and a right shot. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of defenseman teams are looking for right now. That's the typical build for a good. Like for runner. LA, he's a guy that can eventually maybe slot in on your right side he's, below Doughty. Yeah, he's a top six guy. I don't. It's. I said in my article that he, it's kind of hard to gauge where he's at right now, considering that he's an overager draft prospect. It's sort of difficult when he's the guy that's going to get some seasoning in the AHL. Yeah. He'll probably a get a season or maybe a season and a half in the AHL. He's going to play next year with Ontario for sure. Like second round picks generally, like people don't like. I think when you look at the Leafs giving up that first round pick, it's the difference between in terms of where the Leafs are picking. Erasmus, you're maybe a look because Erasmus Andy probably was 29th. Yeah, he went lower than people expected, and I think that's. Yep. Um, and I think people might now think he may have gone too low comparing. It's up. difficult with those late round picks because it's yeah. uh, that's a tough spot to be in because you could be that team that picks I think up. what Morgan Frost was a late round pick and people are yep. saying he was could have been higher. Um, the guy that Detroit got, he played Valeno. Yeah, Joe Valeno, Valeno was a guy that if they at least didn't take Sandin, I wanted them to take Valeno because he looks very good. Yeah, so but, doesn't matter. Um, it's that spot in the draft where. If you miss and somebody in the early second round gets a stud, you're going to hear about it for a long time. It's a tough spot that if you miss on that pick, you're. it's like the Leafs. Tyler Biggs and Stuart Percy, Frederick Gauthier to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, Late first-round picks. Now, if you're, I think the Leafs had enough info on Sandine to know that they were comfortable with that pick. Yeah, but there's, there's guys that have gone late first round. and you're, and uh, you, you see Sandin's what, arguably the Leafs' best prospect on defense now. I would say, yeah. Just, but it's also because Lilligren's missed time, so yeah. he hasn't gotten a full season. That's exactly that's it. And but Sandine's also younger and shown a little more in it's, that. It's time. a one A one B situation. It doesn't matter. Both of them are spectacular. Both prospects. of them are least. Both of them are going to contribute down the road. Yeah. The thing about this Jersey trade is you've got Mac uh, Words Austin Mac Hollowell, good another overage defenseman, but he has I think I said fifty two points. I messaged in our group chat. Yeah. Ridiculous. He's putting up great numbers for uh, the Sioux. You've got Philip Crawl, who's going to be good. He was, I said it to you as Fedor well. Fedor forever. You got Fedor Gordiev. Who likes to punch linesman in the face. Yeah, that's a We guy. never talked about that. I don't think we talked about that. Gordiev and Dursey are playing on the same team in Guelph. 
Think about that's it. a stacked team now in Guelph. Guelph Looks pretty good. Uh, Ottawa. Niagara's got uh, maybe it's no, sorry, it's Ottawa. Not uh, it's one of Ottawa or Niagara and has Ottawa, like Ottawa's like loaded because they got yeah. went out and got Di Pietro. Niagara is a team that's really good as well. They have something like nine players who have over fifty points or something ridiculous. Well, yeah, so oh no, sorry, their t- their entire top six or top nine are over point per game players. Yeah, but they also <laughs> trade like the next two oh, years yeah. of draft picks it's to do the, it. It's the cycle in the OHL. I mean, you trade all of your draft picks to have a chance to be good in three years' time. It's funny. The thing in the OHL though is uh, obviously they want to get to the Memorial Cup. Yep, but there's only one spot. Because it's out in Halifax. So unless Halifax wins the... Now, Halifax is already guaranteed a spot. So if Halifax was to go to the Memorial Cup and win it, say, the team that was the runner-up would still make it. You're talking about the Q. Yeah, in the Q. So if they were to win the QMJHL championship, the the runner-up would still be in the MEM. Um, So... I I I, and, I mean we can get into this a little later. I yeah. I have someone we can bring in to talk some OHL stuff. Our good friend Brandon, Sweet. he's a guy that we can talk some OHL stuff with. We'll have to have him on. But also, um, the whole with the whole Grunston thing, um, I'm not sh- I don't know a lot about this player, but I've known enough to just see his name in the headlines, and that's uh, the guy in Ottawa. Um, <laughs> you're gonna have to help me with the name, Farbear. Tyler, Tyler, the guy who leads oh, the sorry, OHL. Tyler Fellhaber. Fel- Ty Fellhaber. Holy smokes. I, I, I see the name. And oh, I, the 60, say, I thought you were talking about the Senators. That's why no, I was No, no, I'm talking about up. the Ottawa 67. Sorry. Uh, I know the Leafs. Sure apparently the Leafs have shown right. some. Uh, uh, see, he's a guy that, uh, and we talked about this off air, uh, Kyle Dubas did a good job of finding Mac Hollowell. It wasn't hard to find him because he's a Sioux guy. Mac Hollowell's a Sioux player. Yeah. Pretty easy, but overager got him in the draft. He's paying dividends. It looks like he's going to be a guy that could play with the Marlies next year. Will probably play probably a part. play either Marlies or with the Growlers. Yeah, but like a guy like 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 him, like the guy Felaber uh, Felaber. Thank you. <laughs> I got you. Uh, who could potentially get over what seventy goals this season in the OHL? Uh, now look, I know I, I've told you I've told Austin that goals in the OHL sometimes that production doesn't translate to the NHL, but if you're the Marlies, if you're Kyle Dubas, and I don't know if you've said it or somebody has said that the Leafs have looked at him, you could sign him to an AHL contract because he hasn't been drafted yet. Yep. Um, you can bring him in. I think you can bring him in at the end of the season. He was also brought in by the Laval Rocket at the end of last season. I'm just looking at his page now. So um, Montreal's had his eye on him too. Yeah, and so will pretty much every Eastern team. I mean, uh, everybody has an it, OHL scout. He's not and, a secret. And, and look, yeah, he's not a secret. And at the same time, he hasn't been talked about in a way that teams are going to all go after him. Right I'm going to write him. a thing on him as well. I wrote a thing on Justin Brazo. I think I'm going to do a thing on just like the top overage players because there's yeah. a lot of them this year. You're going to be seeing a lot more in the NHL draft too. Because I was looking up uh, prospect stats. It's a really good place to find advanced stats for OHL players. Mm-hmm. I've been using it a lot. There's uh, like the top. 10 or 15 scores in the OHL, there's like five of them that are 19 or older and yeah. haven't been drafted. Yeah. Um, now, we've kind of gone a little off track here, but I think right now would be a good time to... I love getting off track with prospects. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know you do. It's it's your... It's the thing kind of that, my thing. It's your thing. But uh, we did tell you that we did have a conversation with Chris Johnson, so I think it's about time that we uh, move on to that conversation. 
So here is our interview with Chris Johnson of Sportsnet. All right, we want to welcome you back to the Tip of the Tower podcast, and we are pleased and thankful that we were able to get uh, Chris Johnson uh, to join us to talk some uh, more Leaf stuff. Chris, I know you just got back from vacation when this trade came down. Uh, just your initial thoughts on the whole, uh, was it more a surprise, or were you, what was your reaction first when you got the news that Muzzin was traded to the Leafs? Well, I'd say it was maybe a bit surprised by the timing, um, you know, just because you don't typically see the deals consummated four weeks out. I mean, obviously they do happen, but, you know, I, I didn't have a, an idea that that was going to happen. But, you know, I wasn't all that surprised it was Jake Muzzin that the Leafs would go after. I mean, you know, really, if, if you look at what the market is, there's there's probably six, seven, eight defensemen uh, reasonably that were out there that, that were their choices to, to pick from. And when you look through that group of defensemen, you know, I think that Jake Muzzin makes sense on a couple of levels. For one, you know, he's he's only signed at $4 million and, and uh, through next season, which, you know, with the Leafs cap issues uh, that they're going to have to contend with this summer, I think is a really valuable piece of this trade. You know, and he also has a history with, with Kyle Dubas, you know, having uh, been with the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds during his junior days. You know, he's someone that I think that the Leafs organization is pretty comfortable with and uh, even though he isn't a right-hand shot, which would probably be the most perfect solution, you know, the, the available candidates that, that would fit that mold you know, either cost more money, would have required the Leafs to give up more in the trade, you know, probably something off their roster, which, you know, was a priority for them not to do. So when you, when you started to work through the mental exercise, I think that this, this trade makes a ton of sense for the Leafs. And, uh, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see now, uh, how they can use this extra month, essentially, that, that they're going to have Jake Muzzin to get him comfortable and potentially see him play on his offside. Like The big thing in, you just brought up is the whole right-handed shot uh, situation with Muzzin and how even though he's a left shot, he's played the right side. Um, I've heard you know, his former coach, Daryl Sutter, saying that you know he, he doesn't see him as a right-handed defenseman even though he's played that position before. What do you think – how much talk do you think went into – him being able to play that right side and whether that was something that they want to do and potentially next season, do you see that continuing or do you see them moving him to back to his natural side down the road? You know, I think a lot of it will depend on, on how it works out. And, you know, internally, I think the view is you can't have too many good players, no matter what position they play, that, it, that there's a way to make it work as long as, you know, you, at the root of it all, you have, a lot of good players, and the Leafs unquestionably have strengthened their top four by trading for Jake Muzzin. You know, I'm not sure how it's going to play out. You know, there's a, a chance, and, and it might seem crazy given the season Morgan Riley's having, that, that he's the one that goes to the right. Uh, you know, Jake Gardner historically has not liked playing the offside the, the, the few chances he's had, so I, I don't think it'll be him. So, you know, really, it's got to be one of Riley. Uh, or Muzzin, I suppose Travis Thurman could do it, but you know I don't think at this point they're inclined to use him among their top four. So um, it, it might be there might be a bit of growing pains there and in, in getting comfortable. Uh, but that's that's the value again I think of doing the trade at the end of January rather than the end of February because it is 13 extra games now uh, that that try to, that, that Jake Muzzin will get with the Leafs in the regular season, and then of course there's all next year where you know I would think you know I, I've been long held the view that Jake Gardner wouldn't be a leaf next season just because the the cap constraints uh, won't make it make sense uh, for him to sign here. 
for the amount of money he can sign for. And so, you know, at that point, I think you are likely to see Jake Muzzin returned to the left side, although, you know, maybe him and Riley will, will find some magic together and, and that'll be kind of redundant. I think I think the, the, the one thing the Leafs have gained here that they didn't have as much before is, is a lot of flexibility to, to move things around and, and to, to play a little bit. And, you know, I, I expect that, that Mike Babcock will do that a little bit more now down the stretch than, than he's done previously with his defense. You just touched on uh, Gardner possibly being gone. Uh, Ron Hainsey is also another name that could be out the door, uh, likely will be out the door uh, when the offseason rolls around. Um, the Leafs were able to keep Timothy Lilligren. Uh, they were able to keep Rasmus Sandin. Um, obviously, Kasperi Kapanen and Andreas Janssen were the big pieces, but how important was that to be able to keep those two pieces on the back end for the future? Well, I think it's huge because, you know, no one still yet knows what these guys are going to be. You know, there's still hope within the organization, I think, that for, for both players that they can become impactful NHL defensemen at some point. But, you know, even if we take Jake Muzzin as an example, I mean, he was drafted by Pittsburgh in the fifth round. Two years went by, wasn't signed, went through another draft and, and wasn't drafted again, and then was signed a year later with L.A., spent two and a half years in the NHL. I mean, it took him a long time to get to the point where, you know, he's the kind of player the way we're talking about him now. And, and so, you know, I, I think for the Leafs there's a couple things. Uh, as they look ahead, and, and we, we do know their, their salary cap is going to be a challenge once they're paying Matthews and Marner, uh, the huge money along with Tavares and, and, and obviously William Melander. You know, you're going to need to develop internal options at a lot of positions. And so I think it's it's critical to, to try to get these guys to become homegrown players on the blue line uh, to see if, if they can make some kind of impact, even if it's on a third pairing a year or two down the road uh, on their entry-level deal still. And so I think there would have been a huge risk in giving up uh, those kind of prospects. I mean, there's maybe the same risk, although not to the same degree, uh, with Sean Dursey. You know, wasn't chosen as high, uh, was just picked in this most recent draft, and so is reasonably, you know, maybe a little further behind, certainly, than Lilligren, and, and I would think Rasmus Sandin as well. Um, but, you know, when you look at Carl Grundstrom, you know, they, they have some, some forwards and, and a lot of good ones uh, that I think that they can, can count on playing ahead of him, and they can, you know, even if he turns out to be a pretty solid player, which, you know, I think is possible, um, they can feel comfortable. So, you know, I, I would expect the Leafs will, will carefully, even with future moves potentially at this deadline, protect any defensive prospects they have. And really, we're, we're talking about two guys at this point. And uh, I know the Kings uh, were very high on Rasmus Sandin, but you know, that was not a trade the Leafs uh, were willing to make. Um, Trevor Moore is obviously a guy that's uh, come up a lot. He's played a handful of games for the Leafs, or just under a handful. Um, signed the new contract. Um, obviously losing Grundstrom is a difficult thing for the Leafs, but you have to give something to get something, I suppose. Um, how much has the emergence of Trevor Moore uh, sort of alleviated that uh, pressure that would have come along with giving away a talent like Grundstrom? Well, it made it easier, you know, because you know, obviously he had a great playoffs when they won the Calder Cup last year, but, you know, you're never totally sure, you know, what the guy's going to be when you, when you put him in the next level. And, you know, I think he's really opened some eyes, Trevor Moore, in a couple of his, his short stints in the NHL. You know, helped earn him that contract extension, which I think gives the organization some level of comfort because you know it's it's an amount of money that is not that restrictive on their salary cap. You know, he'll he'll certainly be a cost-effective option available to, to them next year, and and you know I think it allows them to, to trade another left winger, frankly, uh, to to you know get rid of Carl Grundstrom as part of this deal. Uh, they can feel good knowing that they have Trevor Moore in the pipeline. You know, I think 
the same in some ways with Callie Rosen, uh, who hasn't played this year for the Leafs, but has you know really been a standout as a, as the number one defenseman for the Marlies. He earned a, a contract extension, and the plan for him next year is to be a Leaf. And so, you know, I think that the one thing the Leafs do really well is I think they understand um, you know the formula it takes, I guess, to to build a team that has a chance to win multiple years in a row. It's not easy in the cap world, uh, but you know they have. Some, some pretty smart developmental people and some pretty smart people in terms of managing that cap situation. And I think in, in Moore and Rosen this year, they've recognized two players that they can already feel comfortable saying, all right, these guys are NHLers next year. Let's get them signed cheap and, and make sure that, that we're leaving ourselves some options in, in what's going to be a difficult summer with, on the money front. Probably the, the biggest question, I think, um, going forward for Leafs is not just what can they else can they do potentially, but – uh, if they do want to do it, they might have to get rid of some salary to do it. A guy like Nikita Zaitsev is one that has had his future questioned with the way that his season has gone uh, since signing his new deal. Do you see him potentially being moved at some point to maybe make a, another deal work? Or do you think that's something that happens in the offseason where they may need to make some wiggle room to fit in the new contracts? Well, you know, I think it's possible he'll be moved because, you know, he's such a long deal left. I believe it's five more years on this contract. And, you know, you're you're probably paying him a little bit more than what he's giving you. You know, I actually think Nikita Zaitsev's been a little bit under the radar uh, good lately. I think he's, I think he's mm-hmm. played fairly well. Um, but, you know, there's probably a cheaper way to fill that option. And, and again, with a team that I think is going to be carefully scrutinizing you know how, how it's spending its money. You know he's going to be a target, and and look, he's he shoots right. He's a defenseman. I think he's pretty steady, and you know there's there's definitely a market out there for him. I know there's teams that have had internal conversations about trading for him. You know I don't know exactly where the Leafs are at. I mean I'd be a bit surprised if that happened before this year's deadline, but it wouldn't surprise me as much if if you saw it happen. You know entering the off season. Uh, when the Leafs are going to be looking for that added flexibility, so you know, I I, I do think it's it's going to be his. His will be a tough contract to keep. I mean, when you look at the Leafs, there's there's probably two for next year. I mean, Patrick Marlowe being the other one, you know, making 6.25 million against the cap in the final year of his deal next year. That that's that's a big uh, chunk of cap, but I just don't think, given what that player means to his teammates, you know, what they've uh, they've kind of made him an unofficial captain in some ways in their dressing room with. Uh, you know the mentorship role he's played with with Matthews and Marner and the like. You know I don't see them attempting to move his deal or asking him to, to waive his, his, his no move clause. So you know it then points to the Zaitsev contract is the other one that jumps out at me where you're probably not getting the value for for that deal that that you'd like and, and you know perhaps a look to move that uh, down the road. Do you see anything you want the Leafs or you think the Leafs should try to get done before the deadline or you think? You can, they, the team can live with what they've done so far in terms of making moves? I think that they can live with what they've done. You know, to me, they they should probably be looking around to see if the goaltending market offers up anything just, just for added comfort. I mean, I still think we're at a point that if Frederick Anderson went down with a significant injury and, you know, we already saw him miss eight games uh, coming out of the Christmas break uh, with, it, with a minor groin injury, that, you know, I'm not sure how confident the organization would feel if it was Garrett Sparks having to start big games or Michael Hutchinson, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see them dip their toe in the goalie market, but 
you know, one thing as it stands right now while we're having this conversation is there's really not that many goaltenders available for trade, and I think there's a few other teams out there uh, that are that were probably thinking along these lines. So, you know, I acknowledge that, uh, you know, maybe that market won't exist to a degree where it makes sense to make that sort of move, but, you know, I think it's one the Leafs will be on high alert for. I know Kyle Dubas has felt, you know, he's felt the sting of, of losing Curtis McElhaney and Calvin Pickard on waivers at, on the last day of, of training camp there. Uh, I know that he, he feels maybe he could handle that differently and put the organization in a better spot because, you know, they've, they've sort of, you know, really weakened their, their depth at that position. And, and so, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see them make that kind of move. It's it's a smaller move. You know, maybe adding um, a more rugged element to their forward group I've seen discussed. You know, I'm not sure that the, the GM is, is as keen on that as the coach would, would like to be. And, you know, if you're talking about some of the bigger names out there, whether it's Wayne Simmons or Michael Furland, uh, you know, I, I just don't see the Leafs expending that kind of future assets on a player like that, you know, a, a rental player in, the, in both of those cases. And, and, you know, someone you're probably even up another good prospect and, and you know, a draft pick uh, of some sort. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if things are relatively quiet now uh, for the Leafs. But, you know, I, I think that with this much time left, you obviously have to remain open to different ideas. And, and you know, I, I would like to see them – you know, strengthen things up at, at, at the backup position because, you know, right now that's where they're vulnerable to me. If, if Freddie Anderson went down, this this very promising season might go up in smoke. Now, when you look at the Matthews and Marner extensions, um, we've heard, I mean, we know that Marner's agents come out and said that they want to put that to the offseason, but we've heard some uh, progress potentially being made on a Matthews extension. We've heard that They've discussed the eight, but the six might be the more realistic option for him. Do you see that as where the, they're going to try to put their focus towards is maybe taking the six-year deal and figuring out the cap situation that way rather than try to go with the max eight-year deal and potentially having an even larger cap hit in that regard? Yeah, I think that that's where the progress comes from is that the, the two sides have kind of agreed and it's not to mean that they can't circle back and change their mind in future if they don't find agreement now but you know I think they're focused on the options for a five-year deal and a six-year deal for Austin Matthews as a way to to keep his cap hit a little bit more in the John Tavares range Um, you know somewhere 11 million maybe as high as 12 if they go six years uh, you know versus I think if they were doing an eight-year deal he was looking for something closer to 13 million a year uh, exceeding Connor McDavid's cap hit for, for largest in the league. So, you know, I, I do sense some momentum in those talks. I believe Austin's side is comfortable going shorter term, uh, just just believing in himself that five years from now, say, if, if that's the, the length of the deal, that he'll still be an impact player and in position to, to sign a major deal, you know, as we saw, you know, Sidney Crosby do, uh, Jonathan Taves, Patrick King, Evgeny Malkin, Steven Stamkos, all those players played on a five-year, second-year, second contract, and then uh, sign big deals on, on their third deal. So, um, you know, I, I do think that that's probably one way the Leafs are at least going to manage to to keep this cap picture uh, a little cleaner is, is going short with Matthews. I would think if that happens, they'll attempt to go short with Marner. And, you know, I, I think Marner's camp actually would be comfortable with that. They just haven't you know, had that level of discussion with the Leafs, uh, you know, not wanting to do it during the season. I think they're pretty eager to see what Matthews signs for as well, um, just to know exactly where the parameters are, you know, what Nylander got, what what Matthews got, and, and, and slot mix, Mitch and accordingly. 
And, you know, I, I would think that this Matthews deal, there's a high probability of it being done before the trade deadline because, you know, I think the Leafs recognize it's in their best interest to uh, remove some of these major question marks uh, before the playoffs and, and to know what their long-term future looks like so they can start planning uh, for the summer. And, and, you know, it's funny how much talk goes into this. You know, I almost feel like you want to tell fans, forget all this stuff, enjoy the, the season because I still think this could be a pretty incredible season for, for the team. But, you know, there are a lot of these off-ice things that have dominated discussion this year, and you know, I think Kyle Dubas would like to, to maybe quiet that discussion and, and make some decisions. You had uh, touched on Patrick Marlowe before and just how his contract situation might uh, work in the next year or so. Um, Connor Brown and Zach Hyman are two guys that have uh, sort of been brought up as possible trade pieces, although I think it's probably safe to say that Hyman would be the safer of the two if they had to make a choice. But do you feel as though um, the Leafs would go ahead and trade Connor Brown or would they rather want to hold on to him and uh, see how the situation works out into the next year? I think he's most vulnerable among, you know, the players that have been here and been part of the turnaround for the organization. You know, that would fall under the same category as letting Jake Gardner walk in free agency. It's not a move I think they want to make, but, you know, it's one the cap might require them to make because, you know, at this point, Connor Brown's a fourth liner on the team. And, and you know, making $2 million isn't uh, it's not crazy money to play a fourth liner. Uh, there's a lot of fourth liners in the league making that. But, you know, I think he's still at an age where, carries value for other teams where you know certainly teams without the, the depth of, of forwards the Leafs have and as it turns out you know Connor Brown being a right shot winger on this team uh you know maybe isn't the best when you're you're playing behind Nylander and uh, Marner and, and now uh, Kasperi Kapanen as well you know it's it's almost through no fault of his own uh that he's he's found himself you know down in the lineup but you know I think he's a very movable piece and one that you know if push came to shove it's a decision I think that they would act on um, to just trade him out, and you know that would be tough. He was an important; he's been an important culture setter, I think, along with Zach Hyman. You know, during the, the, the huge turnover the organization had, you know, those are two guys that uh, were grew up in the Marlies a little bit. You know, had some good a good season in the American Hockey League. Uh, you know, very hardworking, low maintenance players, great teammates, and. Uh, you know, I do think that, that at this point, Connor Brown is, is vulnerable to that type of move. You know, if, if the Leafs run into to some trouble, I mean, even before this deadline, if, if they make another trade, uh, it's likely going to require them to remove some salary from the current roster to make it all work. And, and you know, I, I, I would say that it'll be a nervous few weeks for him until February 25th comes, uh, just knowing that, that potentially uh, he, he might be peace to have to move out. Uh, Andreas Janssen and uh, Kasperi Kapanen, do they worry at all about future trades? Obviously, the Leafs would have to make a major cap dump of some kind to make another, say, Dougie Hamilton or something like that work. Obviously, Jake Muzzin makes that a really, really unlikely scenario. But is there something that could happen where they're maybe looking over their shoulder towards the trade deadline, seeing if uh, a team might try and pick them up? Yeah, I think that they might have a little bit more innocence of youth on, on their side. You know, neither has really been a full-time member of the team, maybe just for a year now, give or take. You know, Andreas Johnson only came up last March. You know, Kapanen has been up and down the last couple of seasons. But, you know, I, I, I don't know if they're worried as much about it because they, they don't really have their hands firmly, or they've only recently had their hands firmly on a job with this team uh, to understand that their name's out there. But, you know, the names have been out there. There's been a lot of... Talk. I mean, obviously, other teams look at how impactful they are, how cheap they are, um, and and want that type of player. I mean, everyone's looking for more young skill, especially 
teams that are selling at the deadline. They, they tend to be, you know, in the, in the midst of rebuilds or retoolings of their organization, and you know, those are the kind of assets that that help you, uh, you know, speed things up a little bit. So, you know, I don't believe the Leafs by any stretch want to give up those guys, either of them. Um, you know, there's probably a trade where they, it would make sense if they did get a a nice right shooting defenseman and could make the money juggle, you know, it might be something they're willing to do. You know, I don't know if they're going to be able to accomplish that though now without a first round pick uh, because whether it's an Alex Petrangelo or Colton Pareko uh, or Dougie Hamilton, as you mentioned, you know, I, I think all those players are, are likely to command a first rounder back in return. And uh, in addition to a roster player or a prospect. So, you know, these guys might be in the clear, but, you know, and just in talking with them and being around them every day, I don't sense that it's weighing on them. Um, just because they're still at a point where they're they're trying to firmly establish themselves as NHL players. They're both in contract years. That they're both actually putting up pretty good numbers, I would say. So they're in a good position to to, to get their first real contract. Uh, you know, come this summer, and you know, I would think both will still be in Toronto if uh, we're having this discussion at this time next year. CJ, you brought up how you uh, you got a sense of being with the guys in the room, how they've been feeling through especially through this recent slump where, you know, there was a lot of pressure on Nylander and his uh, his contract and, you know, he's not performing to what his expectation or even what the team probably was expecting, although coming back when he did didn't really help with that. Um, did you get the sense that after this win against Washington that this really took a weight off their, off their shoulders? Um, and do you think they're able to now, now with the break, really carry this momentum forward? Yeah, you know, I'm curious to see how this break works out. I mean, certainly getting that win right before the break and with the way things have gone, you know, I think that's a nice way to end things off. I mean, it's a long time to, to stew on a loss or to just have in your mind that the team's struggling. You know, I think of the Capitals themselves. I believe that was their sixth or seventh straight loss in a row, right, to that, that game against Toronto, and then they're off for 10 days. You know, it's a long time to, you know, it might be a good time to get away from the rink, but I think it's a tough time to, uh, just knowing that, that things aren't right with the team. But, you know, it's such a long break. I mean, we, we didn't have this in prior seasons where the bye week went right up against the All-Star break. And, you know, I don't know what we'll see from the Leafs when they return in Detroit on Friday. They just get the one, the one practice, and then they're jumping right into back-to-backs uh, at Detroit and then home to, to Pittsburgh. But, you know, I, I will say that, you know, even though the Leafs struggled at times, uh, you know, a fair bit of time from mid-December to, to mid-January-ish, you know, I, I didn't get a sense of panic. You know, I, I really think the team understood that they were unlucky in a couple of those games, that goaltending factor into a couple of those games when, when they didn't have Freddie Anderson and uh, they lost some nights where they, they outplayed the other team but just didn't get quite as many saves. You know, I, I think that there's been a real maturity to this group that, that wasn't always there in the past. You know, they're undefeated this year, entering the third period with a lead, uh, which, you know, if you remember two years ago, was a bit of a high-wire act every time the Leafs entered the third with the lead. I mean, they blew 10 or 11 of those games. You know, some of them ended up putting in overtime, some they lost, but, but they, they, they didn't exactly exude confidence that they could get a win. Whereas, I, you know, I think this year's team knows how good it is. You know, they, they've largely been good right from the start of the season through to now, you know, in the big picture. Obviously, there's ups and downs within that, but they've been right at the top of the standings. They've been at players, you know, all in the midst of career years, and you know, I, I do think that they're they're in a position now to to really buckle down when they get back from the break. You know, with the, the Muzzin trade, there'll be some excitement from from teammates. 
because again, it is the rare trade where you're adding a pretty big piece and, and you're not saying goodbye to anybody at the same time, at least not anybody from the NHL team. So you know, I, I would expect you'll see a surge of enthusiasm for them in this run up to the deadline because, you know, I, I think it's important for this group to try to finish second at minimum in the Atlantic division. And uh, if they're going to face Boston again, or maybe Montreal, but they're starting the, the first playoff game at home this year. Now, as somebody who covers the team and has been through, you know, playoff series, right now it's it would potentially be a Toronto-Montreal series. Do you think fans may not understand just how much that series could, you know, <laughs> I could just imagine what the hype would be around a series like that as, you know, they haven't played each other in a series since the, I believe it's the 70s, uh, if uh, 70s, 80s. Um, as somebody who's covered the team and you've been through playoffs uh, – series what do you think a potential toronto montreal series could do not only for somebody you know the tv ratings but just the overall sense of how the nhl with the whole rivalry thing work works oh it'd be bananas and it'd be great for our employer at sportsnet and i think it'd be fun for hockey in general you know it's, it's actually on my personal bucket list and uh, if you remember that year 2013 uh, the lockout short year when the leafs made the playoffs they were lined up potentially to play montreal uh, until the last game of the season, I believe Ottawa beat Boston on the Sunday. It was a made-up game after they'd had the, the marathon shootings in Boston. And uh, it, anyway, it forced the Leafs to play the Bruins instead. You know, there's been a couple times where it's it's been possible. And, and you know, I, I don't know how likely it is now. You know, Montreal, to me, has been one of the pleasant surprises of this year. And, you know, Boston actually has been a little bit of a, a mild disappointment. I mean, to be fair, the Bruins have dealt with a lot of injuries, you know, more than... I'd say an average team and just some, some significant players. Uh, you know, Rask has missed time, Bergeron, Chara, McAvoy. Um, you know, they, they've had to, to really gut through this year a little bit. But, you know, if Montreal could hold them off and we saw the Leafs and them in the playoff series, I think it would be truly memorable. And what you'd have is it's kind of interesting. If Montreal, you know, I believe would be the underdog in that series. But, you know, you're going up against Carey Price. And, and um, you know, I think that that would be a great dynamic. It'd probably be pretty scary for the Leafs. Well, I mean, it's pretty scary for Mike Babcock, who's seen Terry Price play some some big must-win games in the past. Um, because to me, when when you see upsets in the first round, quite quite uh, you know, typically it's it's a goaltender that really helps make that sort of thing happen. And so, you know, given how hard the Canadians work and and how good a goaltender he is, I think that that's a really tough matchup for Toronto. But um, just on a personal level, I'd I'd love to see it. And, you know, I'm, what I'm excited about as we're looking at the playoffs, big picture in general, is, you know, we have Calgary always to make some noise. We have Winnipeg, you know, the Leafs and, and, and Montreal are in, in a good spot. You know, Edmonton might sneak in. You know, finally, it feels as though, and even the cities that aren't going to make the playoffs, like Vancouver uh, with Pedersen and, and David and Edmonton, uh, whether they make it or not. I mean, it just feels like finally Canada is kind of back at the table a little bit with, with some of these uh with some teams that can make uh, some runs and, and, you know, with the way the divisional playoff format works, we're going to see a battle of Alberta at some point and potentially at least Montreal series. And I think that would be great for hockey. Montreal and Toronto, obviously in the season opener had a great game over time, really back and forth between them. They play twice in February and then they end the season off against each other. And that uh, seems like it'd be a pretty good ramp up for a playoff series. I would think. Yeah. We got one coming up on I think Canada soon, uh, a great game, especially if they can stick where they are and, and have it at that point be lined up as though they're, they're going to play in the playoffs. It's funny, there was a point, I don't remember when it was in the season, but it was several weeks into the year, and I'd asked 
one of the least players who the best team they'd seen this year was, and then he said Montreal, that uh, they, they found it very frustrating to play the Canadians, the way they take away the middle of the ice, uh, how you know diligent and hardworking they are. They don't you know, give the least skilled players time with the puck that they would like to have to operate. And, you know, I think that there's already a healthy respect for the Leafs, uh, from the Leafs end of things for Montreal, even though most people didn't have Montreal pegged as a playoff team when the year began. And, and so uh, those games will kind of help set the table if, if they're close again and if the Canadians come out on the winning end of them. And, and by no means do I think the, the Leafs players would, would be necessarily happy to draw Montreal. I mean, the way the system works, I mean, they're, they're, I can't say they're going to be thrilled if they get Boston either. And we know that Tampa's possible in the second round. So it's not going to be... Uh, can be very difficult, uh, you know, whatever the path is, end up being for this team. But, um, you know, I think that the, the, the Leafs-Canadians rivalry has a shot again to, to ramp up because Montreal's got a few prospects coming. And, and I think that all of a sudden they've started making some good decisions after a few ghastly ones over the years. And, and you know, Carey Price kind of quietly getting back into form, uh, at least as a, a very good goalie, if not the absolute best in the league, has, has really helped them stabilize and, put themselves in position to be a playoff team. Well, CJ, I know you're going to uh, enjoy covering this team for the next uh, couple months, considering and uh, keeping track with everything, the trade deadline. So with that, I'd like to thank you for your time. I know uh, you're about to get back into the crazy media circus. That is the Leafs when uh, I guess tomorrow they hit back to the ice before they get back. So want to thank you for your time and uh, hopefully we'll have to have you on again uh, before the playoffs start. Anytime, gentlemen. It was fun, and uh, it's been an awesome year. Really, you know, having been through some of those leaf seasons that were were, were wayward by this point. Uh, oh yeah, pretty cool, pretty cool to cover a team that has so much interesting going on, that has so much potential. And you know, I, I think like the fans, I don't really know where this journey is going to end, but you know, I think it could be one that goes deep into the spring if uh, some things fall their way. You've seen some things, I think, is what you're getting at. <laughs> oh man. The Randy Carlisle years. That's a whole podcast itself. Oh, yeah. Right. That's a book, Ray, to come through. Save it for another day. We'll have to save that for another day. Thank you, CJ. Thanks, CJ. All right, boys. Cheers. Thank you. That is Chris Johnson from Sportsnet. I want to thank him for coming on. Uh, always great to talk to him. So thanks again, for CJ. You know, every time I talk to CJ, it's, uh, it's, it's like a refresher, a good refresher of – just to put things back into perspective. Yep. I think he did, he does that very well. Not only does he say he he kind of he expands the right way. He makes uh, you feel good about the situation you're in regardless of where the Leafs are. Yeah. Um I remember he did that one. He did the video for Dangle when he was freaking out about the team a couple of years ago. Yeah. CJ's a very good calming presence. Oh, like CJ is he he CJ does not get very he gets he can get amped up. I've seen CJ get amped up. Yep. But he can be a very he's a very even keel guy. Yep. Um and I think the the thing that we should take away from I guess his interview is one um we should be rooting for a Habs Leaf series. 100%. No kidding. And there's going to be some tinkering going on with this Leafs lineup now. Like you look at Muzzin can slide in on the right side with Morali. Riley could slide in on the right side too. That's the potential there. You could do a whole lot of things. Travis Dermott has played the offside with the Marlies. I don't think Babcock wants to do that to the guy. Which, if you really have to, I if mean, you have to, yes. But like, but Muzzin's already said he doesn't care where he plays. Hainsey is likely going to play with Dermott. Although yep. maybe Hainsey with Gardner wouldn't be a bad 
I'd like to see Zaitsev and Dermot. I do too. One game, it's it's a one-game sample, but Zaitsev obviously scored. He looked a little better on the back end. Maybe that's just a one-game thing, and he just was locked in. The one thing, the one thing I'll say about Zaitsev, I'm not, I'm not looking like I don't, I don't like I'm not advocating for a Zaitsev trade. I'm just saying, if Zaitsev wasn't getting paid what he's getting paid, he would fit in with what the Leafs would need, based on you know third pairing guy. It's basically if he was paid Ojeganov money, they're basically the sort of a similar player. Well, Ojeganov's on an entry level, so that's the yeah. Problem. Well, that's what I'm saying is if Zaitsev was. I, I say if, Not, if they didn't jump the gun on signing Zaitsev to this crazy seven-year deal, he'd be on probably a one or if it two wasn't, and a half mil deal. If it wasn't a seven-year deal, like if it was at what he's getting paid now, but like three years. Yeah, like three times like two or two and a half. That'd be fine. I think he probably would have – I think they would have gone That'd three. be a very good deal for a guy oh, coming Oh, would be a fantastic deal. What did he have, 35, 40 points? That's the first Yeah, season? but the thing about that was Pretty he played good. on the power play, sometime on the power play. He took more of an offensive role while also playing. He, he also was, was playing with Riley too. Yeah. I, think, I think we underestimate what just, Morgan Riley did to that. I just really like the idea of him playing with Dermot. The more you think about it. Because Dermot, the one thing that really sticks out to me is he's aggressive – but he's aggressive in a way that he his gap control is fantastic. That's how he he uses his aggressiveness. Yeah, if and a guy's breaking into the zone, Dermot's right on him. He's not letting him have time and space to make a play. And that's hopefully what Muslim will do playing with Riley. There's there's been a lot of and, good breakdowns on Muslim so far that I've seen. And maybe Hainsey with Gardner could work in that regard. Yeah, uh, we won't know until we see how practice lines up. Babcock will. Will be tinker. I think there's going to be a quite a bit of tinkering on that blue line from now until the playoffs. Well, as long as Babcock doesn't do anything egregious like scratch Dermot or something dumb, then I don't think we, he's. I, think, I know. I think that's we're nowhere that's, near. That's that. I'm just saying that's a Unless, worst case. Th- we've seen it before in terms of just keeping him fresh because look, he yeah. hasn't played 82 games. I'm interested to see what they're going to do because they have nine defensemen and Someone's they don't need nine down. defensemen. I wonder, yeah, maybe a smaller trade to trade a guy like Justin Hall or Martin Marincin. You get a conditional pick. I like Martin Marincin, actually, the last game he played, and I'm not a guy that I'm. Says, my only thing about him is he just throws that puck sometimes, and yep. I'm just like, where are you going Issue. with it? That's that's the only problem with his game. Otherwise, he's got, he uses his stick really well. He mm-hmm. gets poke checks. He kills penalties. It's just the puck, the puck, puck handling. Puck handling and just sometimes the positioning. He's His awareness on the ice isn't always there, but yeah. As a depth defenseman, you could do worse. Oh, for sure. But maybe maybe he's built – I don't know. Like, see, at the point, Hull, Merchant are not going to I think a team would take a chance on Justin Hull if Possibly. it was for the right price. But they're going to want to see if he gets put on waivers. That's the thing. Yeah, that's the for, problem. Is he they're going to do exactly what the lead, what happened to the Leafs with the backup goalies, although the backup goalies were arguably better yeah. than what the defense situation is. But I think that's what teams are going to try to force the Leafs to do. If that's but then the Leafs also can just send Ozyganov down without clearing waivers. Yep, that's fine. If he's not going to play anyway, then do it. If he's going to be the odd man out like consistently, then send Oz down and give him some time in the minors. Exactly. At least he's playing. I know it's probably not what he wants, but it's definitely not what he wants. No. Better than sitting in a press box all game. Exactly. Uh, All week. Excuse me. I don't think he's going to worry too much about that. 
Um, we were taught, we touched base with this with CJ on what the Leafs can do moving forward. He seems less convinced that they're going to go big. I kind of agree with that now, just based on he thinks a guy like Pareko, um, Hamilton, um, Pietrangelo, Pietrangelo is going to go for like a first and a prospect and maybe a roster player. The thing the Leafs did with this trade is they made it difficult on every other team to acquire a defenseman that needs one. Well, now there's a precedent set for if you if you're a team that has a defenseman better than Muzzin that's available, you've got a, a price set yeah. that you can have teams meet. Well, there's a precedent now. It's like yeah. the Leafs paid this much for Jake. He's this much better or worse than Muzzin, so this is what we want. The thing with the Petrangelo idea is John Carl of oh, John Carlson, Eric Carlson, yeah, wrong Carlson, wrong country even. Eric Carlson was kind of the landmark. Like, the problem Ottawa did, made was they didn't trade him during the season. Yep. When they should have. They probably got would have gotten a better haul from Vegas based on what Just we were Just them hearing. going for it. Problem was they were probably trying to attach Bobby Ryan, which continues to be the stupidest thing I've heard. Oh, but it's just it's they've handcuffed themselves. That's a different different conversation. It is. So that's that's the Pietrangelo. That's the angle with that. I think the only way the Leafs get a Pietrangelo Hamilton um, is if Zaitsev is going somewhere else, or the only way I deal a William Nylander, mm-hmm. and we've heard Brian Burke go on about this is if Pareko is the guy coming back. You could That's do it. the only way. You could do it. There's ways of getting around it, but well, the Leafs has shown that they can do it without giving up a good player. But what is the point of having I mean, realistically one of Ron Hainsey or Zaitsev is the odd man out at that point. And then if Hainsey's sitting, that's what three point two five million in your. He box. would rather be traded. Oh, absolutely. But uh, like, what team is gonna yeah. take him on after seeing? Wh- I, I he, think what, he has too much. I uh, think we're. O- I think in the whole idea of trading for someone else is overreaching a bit now. Yeah, well, you're, they can trade for somebody like, else. It's like we just got something good. What more can we get? Like it's like they're it's, they are not gonna land a Dougie Hamilton. And I asked TJ that question just because you want to clear all your. You yeah. want to see if there's any benefit. If there's driver. a possibility, you, you're it's not good saying that we know. the least you want the least to do it. You're just no. wondering if it's a possibility. And it's just, I don't know. It's, but no, I, I and I totally get where, you, like, I if I if the least could get Dougie Hamilton, you do it. Like, if the least yeah. could do it, they would do it. But, I mean, we, it's more I mean, likely, we don't know if Dubas likes Hamilton as well. It's more likely they do something like what Washington did when they got Michael Kempney last year. You get a guy that has good underlying stats. That so can I, I've heard Ron like Hainsey. a guy like like uh, Jensen from uh, Nick Jensen, Pissick from uh, Mark Pissick would be a lovely little pickup. He's only what two in a bit, two point three I think his contract yeah. is. You would trade a forward. You can make that work. That's yeah. less than Ron Hainsey. You yeah. got, and I, I would be. See, the thing is. That's the part I'm wondering is somebody from that blue line would have to – like, I don't see Hainsey sitting. No. Well – Unless it's Zaitsev going the other way. If I'm if, – and, and CJ didn't rule out – he said it's possible, but it's oh, most likely a summer thing if they have to. David Clarkson got traded for Nathan Horton. I mean, anything's possible. Any guy can be moved. I, I think the least would trade Zaitsev to a team that needs a defenseman um, – just trade them to Arizona. They like taking on cap. 
Considering their injury history, it wouldn't be a terrible idea. I'll just say that. Um, it wouldn't be a half bad blue line either. L- let's anyway. let's also go, let's go forward. Um, the Leafs return from their break. They play Detroit. Um, another like, it's like I've seen too much Detroit lately. The way the schedule is right now is just. <laughs> It's weird. Again, I don't understand it. It's like the Sabres last year. Like, why do they play Montreal three times in the last two and a half months of the season? Well, the Leafs are going to be playing. Because what the NHL is trying to do is they're trying to create those rivalries. Like, those, like, <sighs> just. And look, and the way it plays out now, that could be an important. Rivalries are time. created just regularly. You don't need to you, put three they're games created in three organically. Weeks. They're not created by exactly. you throwing things to trying to get The Maple Leafs and Habs it. didn't be, hate each other because they played three games in two weeks against each other. They hated it, each other because of their location and because of the situation. And they played a lot in the playoffs. They too. did play a lot in the playoffs. And That's because there's so many six teams. They are teams that played each other a lot, especially over the last little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't need to do this where you have to force rivalries on people. No, you Boston shouldn't have and to. Toronto hate each other organically. Yeah. Montreal and Toronto hate each other organically. Ottawa and Toronto hate each other organically. Yeah. Buffalo and Toronto starting to hate each other organically. There's no this it's not because they play a bunch of yeah. games. They play each other they play each team the exact same amount of times a year. Exactly. Um going so it's the Red Wings and they have the Penguins on Saturday night. They Finally, played, a Leafs game at home on a Saturday night, by the way. They play the Senators at some point, don't they? Um, they have the Ducks on Mon- on the 4th of Ducks February. On Monday. Right. They have the Senators next Wednesday on Wednesday night. In Ottawa then or in Toronto? Then oh, in Toronto. Okay. Um, so they'll play in the other home rink sometime in probably February, March. Yeah. If you get that joke. Third um, home. Then you've, Second home is Buffalo. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, then they have a Saturday night against the Habs, which CJ alluded to. Uh, we'll probably have a podcast come up before them, but that's definitely I'm, two. It's two games in two weeks in February or three weeks. I'm aiming. So, so if people want to know, I'm aiming. To, I want to give three games. So that could be either before they play the centers or just after the play the centers. So three or four games. We'll see how Muzzin looks. Yeah, that's like I'm not judging Muzzin on the first game. <laughs> we're not. We're not going to record another podcast. Five minutes after the first game, exactly, and um, that's that's the thing. So now all the eyes are on Muzzin. I'm gonna. It's gonna be interesting to see how he plays with the media attention now on him. Like he played in high level situations in L.A., but let's be real. Like the difference between L.A. and Toronto is vast. And I think he understands that now. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. Um, what are you interested in seeing? Coming out of the break for the Leafs. Now, this is where we'll probably end things off. Jake Muzzin. That's it? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I'm interested to see what other deals Kyle Dubas makes. That's going to be the biggest thing. The trade They're going to have to do something because, as yep. you said, they have too many defensemen. Yeah, it'll and be. They need to bring for, a forward up. Probably. And we're always pigeonholed into trading a second for a forward that we don't need. So they won't do that, that was now the that they traded this, the first. And that was probably something I forgot to mention. This is probably the part of the Muzzin deal I like. The last two trade deadlines, they've traded away their second-round pick for a fourth-line center. A fourth-line center. Okay, in, true, in fairness, Pekanic eventually went to the second line because of the Kadri uh, <laughs> Out of necessity, not out of, yeah, out of Babcock design. wanting to. Um, but at least now you've traded your first-round pick and you're getting something for next season on top of that. But they also had to include two prospects. But 
Um, you also, and the last thing about the Muslim deals, you get some certainty with the Matthews and Marner contracts of you've got a defenseman. You can let Gardner go. I think now that's become more apparent that they're going to let Gardner go. You can still trade um, Zaitsev and have Lilligren step in next season. That's not out of the question. No, I'd say that's a pretty likely thing that could happen. Yeah. Timothy Lilligren is going to be given every chance at the end of this year and at the beginning of next year to prove at least management. He that st- that he was going to last us. So Dubas said that Lilligren could have stepped in if the injury didn't happen. I think that's he, if he's able to come back and show no ill signs. If the Leafs really want a right-hand defenseman and they don't want to trade for one. I, I don't think they can use him in the playoffs. You don't think they can? I, well, they can. They can they do whatever can. the hell they want. They're the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, let's say you send down O's. Uh, let's say you trade a Zaitsev. You you flip in Ozyganov and Lilligren, Lilligren for a bit. Those two battle it out. I mean, Lilligren and Dermot. I guarantee that's what it was going to come down to. Lilligren and Dermot were, I believe, a pairing for a bit during the playoffs last year. They were. In the okay. AHL. And they look good. I believe it was the one game I went to. They were a pairing. Uh, so that they it's not together. out of the realm of possibility. I swear, that's what I'm saying. But no. I think that's only happens if Zaitsev gets traded or somebody else gets traded. Don't force it. And Don't they, force they it. They know that. They're smarter than I am. I mean, at the same time, if, if Lilligren's not going to get regular playing time, just play him with the Marley so that he at least has the top line minute playing. Because it's yeah. hard to go from playing a lot to playing nothing and – Having to make the most out of that little bit, that little it's, time. Uh, yeah, it's if it doesn't seem like the right time, the Marlies look like they're going to make the playoffs now. They're starting to turn somewhat of a corner. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll make the playoffs. The goaltending is what's going to make or break them. And and this, I think, is where CJ can potentially was potentially saying they could add a goaltender. I never I, thought about that honestly because everyone's well, been so focused way, on defense. The only way we say they, we said that is because of Gary Sparks' waiver situation. But maybe yeah. either teams wouldn't take the chance on Sparks now. Maybe that's changed the Leafs' thought, or Gary Sparks becomes a part of a deal for something else. Maybe. Although I don't know what team would want to trade for goalie now, unless it's a team that wants to see what Sparks can do and then roll with them next season as. A, the only way I see it working is if a team, if the Leafs, like the Calvin Pickard situation, if the Leafs were to waive him, then a team trades for him. He's already in the AHL. Yeah, and I, that could be another case too. Um, Anyhow. They have to make the salary work too. So I don't know what they would be planning with a goalie because I don't really know what goalies are available. Yeah. It's not really something that the Leafs have really been linked to a lot. No, and now but I it's think a good more point people. by CJ. Well, now hopefully anybody listening to this podcast will keep that in mind going forward. With that being said, I um, want to thank you guys for listening. want to thank CJ again for coming on. This was uh, this one had me fired up for good reason. And yeah. uh, now I, th- I think the Leafs understand with this trade that Dubas has made that it's on them. It's on the players now to to make the to, – to push forward now after what has been kind of a – a disappointing couple of weeks that they've they seem to be getting them their you know their feet under them their skates under them they're starting to get back to what they uh, were at the beginning yeah. of the year and this trade should only help uh for that excitement yes sir all right uh <laughs> with that being said 
Keep following us on Twitter at Tip of the Tower and on Facebook. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes, anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, you can also just go on the download the Spreaker app and the Spreaker app, and that will also send over a notification when this is up. Thank you again for listening. Thanks, uh, and we'll keep track of any other trades and hopefully maybe the Leafs consider something else, but we won't hold our breath at this point. So uh, we'll catch you guys next time.